Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Towards the end of 2023, the state media in China began to display a previously hidden admiration for the United States. Instead of highlighting America's flaws, the official Chinese outlets focused on all the potential benefits of cooperation between the two countries. This captured the tone of the meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden, which took place in California in November. Xi Jinping said, major country competition is not the prevailing trend of current times. A rather astonishing remark, given how turbulent international relations were last year. So how should we understand the current nature of the relationship between the US and China? And how is it likely to develop over the course of the coming year? Well, my guest on the podcast today is ideally placed to offer his expert perspective on such matters. James McGregor spent over three decades working in and covering China from various angles, including as a Wall Street Journal reporter, the author of two highly regarded books, and as chief executive of Dow Jones and Company in China. Today, he serves as chairman of APCO Worldwide's Greater China Region. James, welcome back to China in Context. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with that meeting between Xi and Biden in November 2023. Mr. Biden said it included some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. What's your perspective? They're pushing to get some stability in the relationship. I mean, I, I, they disagree on so many things. I mean, the, the statement you just uh, quoted from Xi about you know, major country competition is not the prevailing trend of current times. Biden emphasized the U.S. and China are in competition when he spoke. They know they've got to have a floor on the relationship. They've got to move ahead. This was China actually, I think, acknowledging that it's got economic problems and it needs to re-engage. Um, you know, the, the China has not been engaging. It's been saying that the U.S. is all about containing and controlling and keeping China down, telling its population for the last few years that the U.S. is a, not a positive force uh, in uh, wanting to do anything with uh, China. But then just recently, the papers were full of, uh, you know, the flying tigers and the great relationship between the people. And uh, my Chinese friends are laughing about this. It's like, yo, we were supposed to hate America yesterday, and today we're supposed to admire America, and they're our good friend. And so... Uh, they're pretty savvy when this propaganda comes their way. But the bottom line is both countries need to move ahead and act like adults and figure their way through um, a very complicated world. Well, there's been a lot of talk about restoring trust. For example, the US and China have agreed to resume direct contacts between the leaders of their armed forces and also to have more discussions on the dangers of artificial intelligence. Are you encouraged by those developments? Absolutely. I mean, uh, with what's going on with all of the near misses in the uh, South China Sea uh, between boats and airplanes and uh, the stresses with, um, you know, basically the U.S. and China being on on different sides on Ukraine and also on the war with Israel. You know, there's a, there's a lot going on they got to worry about. Then AI, my God, nobody knows where the heck that's going to go. And if the U.S. and China don't have some uh, discussion on that and that becomes an open battleground um you know they look at things very differently look at the military to military talks um the u.s looks at this as a way to stabilize and to avoid conflict and accidents 
turning into um, something they shouldn't be. What China kind of looks at the military to military as the um, the U.S. kind of gauging China on how far they can go in what China looks at as interference on their shores, that it, that it's almost a stopgap measure for them. So they look at the world so differently, but they both know their position in the world vis-a-vis each other is important. Well, one of the reasons I like talking with you, James, is that you've got a very good insight into the way that both sides think. I noticed at one point in the APEC meeting in uh, November last year, a reporter asked Xi Jinping if he trusted Mr. Biden. Xi Jinping didn't reply. He simply looked at the reporter quietly. (laughs) Well, now, sometimes people say that Xi Jinping is inscrutable. But I'm guessing that Joe Biden feels that he's got the measure of him by now, given their many long conversations. Well, look, if you're portraying uh, America as uh, trying to contain China, trying to keep China down, being a um, you know a, a, an adversary that is uh, a danger to China, you can't openly say that you trust the American president and have that go back to China. I think they know each other better than most because they spent a lot of time together when they were vice presidents. But that was that was a, a different era, a very different era. Trust is a big problem between the U.S. and China, of course, and I don't think either side really trusts the other, other than they know they've got to deal with each other. But, you know, when I um, I just spent a month in China, my first time back since COVID, and what I realized is uh, China's got a real trust problem uh, in its own country with uh, direct investment and uh, and um, exports not being the real drivers of the economy anymore. It's really hard to get really high growth with that. They've got to depend on the consumer economy. So they've got to rebuild trust with their own people. You know, people have to trust the government's moving in the right direction. They've got to trust that um, um, their lives are going to get better because you can't order consumers to take money out of their pocket and spend it. So there's a lot, there's a lot of trust issues all over. And, you know, even within America, I mean, it's easy to see what our political system has become. Was there anything else that surprised you during your trip to China? One thing I noticed that is that is really strong in the foreign business community is that there's a very tough security message coming out of China with the anti-espionage law, with these catch a spy campaigns, which rewards for catching a spy, um, you know, that is happening. At the same time, China's offering genuine openings and and more market-oriented policies. And both of those are happening at the same time. And so businesses are schizophrenic on which we pay attention to. Well, headquarters is paying attention to the security side. They're seeing these stories about the exit ban, stopping executives who are in a dispute from leaving. Meanwhile, their China headquarters, they're focused on the reforms and openings, and they see business opportunities. So people are saying, China, what are you? Where are we right now? Are you reform and opening and opening to the world? Or are you a security state that we have to be afraid of going to? Lots of business people and and politicians are afraid to go. I had a lot of people say to me, you you should not go. It's too dangerous. I I don't think that's true. But the uh, rhetoric coming out of Beijing on on anti-espionage and all that has people worried. That's very interesting, actually, James. I've got another thought on that, which is, in fact, that the CIA is probably endorsing this high-level business contact between China and the United States. 
you know, I don't think the uh, chairman and president of Goldman Sachs would have been asked to go to Hong Kong late last year. And nor do I think that Elon Musk of Tesla and Tim Cook of Apple would have been uh, encouraged to have that dinner with uh, Xi Jinping in California unless the CIA was saying, look, we don't think there's a direct threat to America from China, but continue to be cautious. Do you think that's a reasonable interpretation? Not really, because I, you know, look, I lived in China 30 years and I've been involved with the business community at very high levels through most of that time. These guys have nothing to do with the CIA. Okay. You know, they, they have nothing to do with the CIA. In fact, the State Department has had a travel um, warning on going to China, and I think that still is in place. That really gets their attention when the State Department puts that out. Oh, well, thanks for correcting me on that. Look, let's go back to the politics then. When Mr. Biden meets the president or the prime minister of another country, I'm not talking about China here, I'm talking about friendly countries, uh, he, he often tries to persuade them to fall in line with the American approach towards China. And I think probably he'd like to present America as providing an attractive alternative to China in terms of economic enticements. But what I'm hearing from people in Asia is that America has rather lost its allure. It's become more inward looking. I wonder what you make of that. It depends what part of America you're looking at, what part of the government you're looking at. I think that the Biden administration actually has been very active globally. And look, I mean, they brought they helped bring together NATO um, and, and other allies on the whole Ukraine question. Uh, some of these initiatives that the, they've put out in Asia, because Congress is anti-trade, they can't do a trade deal. So they're doing this IPEF deal, which is at least trying to get some some ties going. Uh, the administration is trying. On the other hand, Congress is isolationist. I was a reporter covering the Reagan administration many, many years ago, and I've, I still spend a lot of time in Washington, and I've watched the quality of our politicians just go down and down and down and down. Our members of Congress, there are so many people that are so ill-informed and so ideological and actually not of a very high quality. And so they're, you know, knee-jerk on, on China. They know nothing about China. They've never been there. I mean, we need to have smart policies about China um, on, on where we're going to go with it. So the rest of the world's looking at America and they're thinking, what's happened? Where are you headed? What's happened to you? They're both, I mean, the world's looking at both countries. You know, where's China going? Where's America going? I think they really do worry about the Chinese economy and where is this really going? Is this a tactical move right now because the economy is troubled? So China's, you know, showing more of an open face and offering more opportunities because they need foreign investors and they need foreign investment. Uh, or is, um, you know, or is it really going down a much more state controlled, uh, self-reliant mode? And then with America, it's like, where are you going politically? I mean, is your democracy going to survive? You sit in America right now, there's huge concerns if Trump got reelected that our democracy and our, our institutions that held during the first term may not hold. And the world's looking at that and saying, at looking at both countries and saying, where are you headed? Because, you, you know, both these countries matter so much to the globe now. Well, actually, that leads me on to a remark which was made to me recently by one of my students. She's an American. And she said, most Americans I know have reported increased feelings of anxiety and depression, although it's hard to know how much of this is tied to inflation, worries about China, the coming election, the post-COVID world, or climate change. 
She continued, and I thought this was a striking comment, some of my male friends in their late 20s and 30s are starting to wonder if the draft will be reinstated and if they'll have to serve in the military in a future conflict, and this creates fear. I was quite shocked to read that. What's your take on her remarks? Well, first off, I'm 70 years old. So it's, it's, you know, for me to interpret young people in America may not be the right person. But what I see looking back through the years, first off on the draft, actually, I would I was infantry in Vietnam. I'm in favor of the draft, because if we had a draft and members of Congress, their children had to go to war, we wouldn't have gone into Iraq. Instead of having a mercenary army like we do now, if it really encompassed all the citizens, um, I think the U.S. would be much more cautious and much more thoughtful in the way we do things. I think on the depression and all that, look, if you're young today and you're steeped in social media and you're seeing where our politics are going, and you also wonder where your economic opportunities are going to be. And climate change, I mean, climate change, uh, the amount of American death that the baby boomer, my generation, is leaving on these people. Um, I can see why they would be concerned, especially if they're more informed. Well, let's finish with looking ahead to the rest of this year, 2024. I think there are a couple of major issues which still aren't resolved in terms of uh, US-China relations. One, of course, is the attitude towards Russia. China's still not uh, sanctioning Russia over the invasion of Ukraine. Um, and of course, there's also still a very different way of looking at the Israeli-Gaza war in China, as there is in America. I I'm cautious to generalize here because I know that opinions in the US are divided on that issue as well. But with those big themes, how do you see U.S.-China relations playing out in 2024? Well, the optimistic view might be that the world is on fire in two spots. Nobody wants that fire to spread further. And so the U.S. and China need to be acting as adults in uh, trying to deal with this. You know, they need to keep the Iranians from coming in. They need to try to put a kind of a damper on Putin. That would be optimistic that because these things are so bad, both countries need it's in their own interest to keep a relationship going. So there's a lot of reasons for instability. But maybe that instability will also bring the U.S. and China together to um, try to keep some stability. Uh, let's keep our eyes open and see. Well, thank you, James. I hope you'll return to the podcast regularly throughout the year because you're able to offer us a unique perspective. That was James McGregor, chairman of APCO Worldwide's Greater China Region. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.